Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. In this episode, two recovered alcoholics break down one chapter of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Thank you for listening. Well, hi, my name is Catherine. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, and we are in chapter seven, uh, working with others. Okay, so it starts, practical experience shows that nothing will so much as ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence with other, when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Um, okay, so... That big first sentence is a huge promise. It says that nothing will so much as ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. So working with other alcoholics is like my um, vaccine against drinking. And the only way I get there is by working the 12 steps. So I can't help anyone if I don't have something to give them, right? Um, So... And that goes back to um, what it said in the forward to the second edition on page, let me find it in here. Um, uh, XVII. It says that um, this seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. So we talk about when we start this program that, okay, well, I'm going to give this to you so you can give this to other people because I'm giving you something and you, you, know, you don't owe anything to me, but you need to pass it on to others. But the, the other part of that is that if you don't pass it on to others, you're not going to stay sober. So um, right. That's sort of important, I guess. Um, and then the other side of that though, is that you are uniquely qualified to help other alcoholics in a way that no one else isn't. And I don't just mean that like you're uniquely qualified and we're all uniquely qualified and we're interchangeable. And I'm just as good at helping people as Kelly is, as Allison is, as anybody else on this meeting is, I mean, like you because of your unique experience and all of the crap that you have been through are uniquely qualified to help another woman in a way that I will never be. Um, And it gives like, it makes everything else make sense. And it takes away like, it's like that thing where like, you're like, how will I ever get over all of this stuff that I've been through? And it's, you will get over all of this stuff that you've been through when you start using it to help another alcoholic, because there is another alcoholic who has been through the same stuff that you are qualified to help. Um, and no one else is qualified to help that woman. So uh, that's your new job. And that's the deal that you made in step three, that you'd go out and do that, by the way. So uh Don't, I, I just like, in my experience, it's not in the book, but my experience is that if you go back on that deal, the, um, there, it just doesn't work out real well. So I highly recommend you see it through. 
Because then on the other side, if you see it all the way through, it says life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Oh my God, I love alcoholics. Oh my God, I love alcoholics. I do not fit in with anyone else any more, like more than I do with alcoholics. Like a, a group of busted up drunks, like those are my people. It doesn't, like I can put up all the makeup that I have and I can have like a nice job and whatever. It does not matter. Like I am a busted up drunk, period. End of story. Always will be, will never change. That is who I am to my core and busted up drunks are my people. And I love them because it's the best. But then to like help other alcoholics and then to have them help other people or to be around other alcoholics who are helping other people to watch alcoholics come in and then to see the change happen in them and then to see them go out and help other people. And I am looking at a host of faces on this call who, when I have met them, we're not like that. And they are now helping other people. And I had nothing to do with that. I just happened to witness it. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like that is, there is nothing more powerful that I've seen in my life than, I, than that. To see God work in somebody else's life. And um, it is really cool. I highly recommend it. Okay. Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. You can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They will be only too glad to assist you. Um, so I did this because like, if you're sitting around at home and you're like, Oh, I don't know any alcoholics. Blah, 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 blah. No one wants me to sponsor them. Like um, that's bull crap. Like go find some, go find some, you got to put in some effort. Like go ask around, go start putting your name out there. It's like, if you had to go find a job, you would be hitting the pavement and sending out your resume, right? You want to find some alcoholics to help. You got to start putting your name out there and go finding some. And it's not going to just be by showing up at meetings, right? You got to go like work for it. Um, don't start out as an evangelist or a reformer. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You will be handicapped if you arouse it. Ministers and doctors are competent and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens because of your own drinking experience. You are, can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. So cooperate, never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. It can be real easy to just sit there and be like, oh, you know, I know how to do this better than you do because look at what I did with my own life with this book. But the truth is there are people who have been out there running programs to help alcoholics that have been successful for decades and centuries and they've been helping plenty more alcoholics than you have so maybe just kind of like tone down the pride a little bit and oh crap don't worry everything's fine it's totally cool um like tone down the pride a little bit and just kind of like let them do their thing and be helpful where they let you be helpful and treat it like it's a privilege, not a right. Um, so our job is to be helpful. The other thing is you can learn a lot from people who work with other alcoholics who may or may not be involved with AA. Um, and there are a lot of alcoholics who aren't going to be helped by this program. So 
it's helpful to learn about them too. And these people might know about them. Just go and be helpful where you can be helpful. And, uh, okay, next page. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste a time to, trying to persuade him. So they're going to, so basically we spent this whole book and we have worked all of this work. We've done all of this work, steps three through 11, um, working on clearing out all of this crap, blocking us off from God to have this spiritual experience that removes the obsession to drink. And now we have this relationship with God. We have conscious contact with God on a daily basis. We have a personality change sufficient to overcome alcoholism. And now we are going out to other alcoholics to show them how to do the same thing. That's what this chapter is about, right? It's about how to take other alcoholics through the steps. And um, it's going to walk us through how to take, like, what, like from when you first find a prospect, how to find a prospect, what to do when you find the prospect, how to qualify the prospect, how to take the prospect through the steps, like advice for the, the whole time you're working with the prospect, just life stuff. Um, so it starts with, okay, what do you do when you find a prospect? When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. So it's not all about you. Find out all you can about the prospect. If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. This advice is given for his family also. They should be patient, realizing they're dealing with a sick person. If there is any indication he wants to stop, have a good talk with the person most interested in him. This was written for when... Um, People usually met the alcoholics through their families. Now we meet them usually through a hospital or through an AA meeting. So you're probably not going to meet somebody through their families. Um, that doesn't mean you cannot find this kind of stuff out. You're just going to usually find it directly from the alcoholic. Um, but it says, get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his backgrounds, the seriousness of his condition and his religious leanings. You need this information to put himself in your place to see how you would like to, him to approach you if you, the tables were, tur were turned. So you are not just like giving him a talk like you would want to be given the talk. It's like you're going to put yourself in that person's place. Um, you're also going to end up finding people like people are going to approach you and be like, oh, if this happened to me just a couple of weeks ago, they're like, oh, my daughter, da, 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 she's in trouble. She's got a couple of DUIs. Can I give her your phone number? And I'm like, well, let's talk about it. Let me find out a little bit about her first. Um, and we went through this. And then we talked a little bit about like what it says in here. Um, sometimes it's wise to wait until he goes on a binge. The family may object to this, but unless he's in dangerous physical condition, it's better to risk it. Don't deal with him when he is very drunk unless he is ugly and the family needs your help. Wait, meaning like they need it. He's like violent or whatever, or you need to call the police or something like that. And don't hesitate to call the police. If you need to call the police, they'll take them to like the hospital usually, or a mental hospital or something like that. Like usually they're not going to take them straight to jail if they're just really drunk. Um, Wait for the end of a spree or at least a lucid interval. Then let his family or friend ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. So you don't need to let somebody else do that. You should do this. Ask them, are, do you want to quit for good? Are you willing to go to any lengths to do so? 
If he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered from alcoholism. Um, You should be described to him as one of a fellowship who, as part of their own recovery, tries to help others who will be glad to talk to him if he cares to see you. So this is the way I talk talk about myself when I describe myself as somebody who helps other alcoholics. I usually don't say I go to AA or I go to all these meetings because, first of all, I don't really go to a whole bunch of meetings. Um, I don't really go to any meetings. Uh, we, we aren't an AA group, so these aren't meetings, right? I, um, I help other alcoholics and their families. That's what I do to stay sober. And that's how I describe myself. I am a recovered alcoholic and I help other alcoholics and their families to stay sober. Uh, a lot of prejudice exists. So I just stick to what it says to do in the book. Um, I'm happy to talk to them if they want to see me, but I don't want to be forced on them. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything, nor should they tell him anything about you. Also, it says wait for the end of a spree or at least a lucid interview. So if a drunk girl calls you in the middle of the night and she's wasted, like don't bother. She's not going to remember it. There's no reason to talk to her. You know, if she needs to go to the hospital, see if she'll go to the hospital. If she won't go to the hospital, then there's no point. Um, wait until it's lucid interval. So they should wait until the end of the drinking bout. Um, you might place this book where he can see it in the interval. I love that. Here, no specific rule can be given. The family might decide these things, but urge them not to be over anxious for that might spoil matters. Usually the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet, which is usually how this happens now. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution. If your man is better, the doctor may suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. No one wants to hear about their family. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He will be more receptive when depressed. Don't wait. Like, just go see the alcoholic as soon as they're ready. Don't be like, oh, yeah, I got time next week. No, you just go. You know, like. If they're just coming off a binge, that's perfect. Um, See your man alone, if possible. At first, okay, so this is basically like, let's say some girl comes up to you and is like, hey, will you sponsor me? Um, This is what you do. It's going to walk you through the exact conversation, which was great for me because I was like, I'm the most socially awkward person in the world. I didn't know how to talk to people when I got sober. I I didn't know how to have conversation. I, I was like, I don't want to talk to people. Um, it, made, it filled me with anxiety and dread and I hated it. And this told me exactly what to say, which is exactly what I needed. It said at first engage in general conversation was general conversation. Hi, how are you? Let's talk about the Cowboys, right? They're terrible. It makes me sad. Perfect. Everybody can talk about how horrible the Cowboys are. Either people hate the Cowboys and they want to talk about how horrible the Cowboys are or people love the Cowboys and they want to talk about how horrible the Cowboys are. It's totally a topic everyone can get behind. Um, Hi, how are you? What's your name? Do you want a cigarette? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. So like alcoholics love to talk about drinking. 
totally awesome topic for alcoholics to talk about. Hey, let me tell you about this thing that happened when I was drinking. What else more could you have in common with another drinker? (laughs) Amazing. Super easy conversation to have. Um, Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of, of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. So don't talk about how you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that is accomplished. If he is in the serious mood, dwell on the trouble liquors has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapade. Get him to tell some of his. So I really keep it to light. Oh, let me tell you about this shit that happened when I was drunk. Or, I mean, it really depends on who the person is. If it's somebody who like went out and partied and had a great time, I'll tell stories of like all the party crap that I did. Or if it's somebody who was like going through a hard time and lost jobs, I'll be like, let me tell you about these crazy things I did when I lost jobs that were like probably far worse than what you did. Like, I'll just find something that's similar, whatever I can find in my drinking history that's like just... I don't know, something that can make you feel better. You know what I mean? Like you just want to kind of like connect. And um, how would you make a friend feel better? You would be like, oh yeah, I know that's terrible, but I've totally been through that too. Like just connect with them and just talk about your drinking so that they know that they're not alone and you've been through the same stuff. Um, When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you are, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twists that leads to the first drink of the spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. That's more about alcoholism chapter. Um, If he is an alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of your, his own. And um, I'm going to put, oh, I don't have it in here easily. Let me see if I can find it. Um, So what I'll do here usually is I'll talk about, without describing it as such, I will talk about how I couldn't control my drinking. And I will give examples of that, how I had the body of an alcoholic and I, when I drank, I would have too many drinks because I had the allergy, but I wouldn't necessarily say the allergy. I would just say, I just didn't know where I was going to stop. And then I would say, but that wasn't the problem. And then I would talk about how I would try to stop um, and start describing what the problem of an alcoholic is that I cannot control it when I start. And then I cannot stop when I actually want to. When I'm stone cold sober, I cannot make the decision to stay away from the first drink. Um, And what it talks about in here is that we start talking about the mental part, the mental twist, which leads to the the first drink. And the chapter on alcoholism, more about alcoholism, is primarily a chapter about the mental twist, about the mind part of alcoholism. So that's what it's telling us really to focus on. Um, If you are satisfied, he is a real alcoholic. So up until this point, you're trying to to satisfy yourself that you are dealing with an alcoholic. Begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So that's the mental part of the malady. 
show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't, at this stage, refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. I continually will say, you may or may not be an alcoholic. It is not up to me to decide that. And you have to be sure. Because this is not for non-alcoholics and it is not worth you to do. If you are not a real deal alcoholic, I highly recommend if you are not an alcoholic, don't, don't do this. Because it's hard. Um, there's other stuff you can do. You can go to therapy and talk about your feelings. That sounds fun. That sounds way more fun. Um, let him draw his own conclusions. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that he possibly can if he is not too alcoholic. There's more. It tells us like two or three times up till now that if he doesn't want to quit, to let him continue to drink. I am not here to convince somebody to not drink. I'm only here to present, this is what alcoholism is, and this is what it isn't. And if this is what you think it is, this is what the program is to treat it. If this is what you have, this is the solution that I have. If you want it, I can help. Um, But insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, as a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. So we've gone from the mind to now we're talking about it as an illness. So this is an illness. You can't cure it. If you have it, you have it, period. There's no way around it. Um, Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed to never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all of the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he's an alcoholic is so much to the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask that question. If he will, if you tell, if he asks it, that's awesome. If he doesn't at this point, you just let him Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. So I say, this is what happened. I ended up in treatment when I met this lady. I worked the steps. I had a spiritual experience, blah, blah, blah. If the man be an agnostic or an atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he'd be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he lived by spiritual principles. I don't run into this as much as I do um, some of this other stuff down here at the bottom of the page. When dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There is no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues, no matter what your own convictions are. So you may be super Christian, and you may be super Buddhist, but just use really basic God, spiritual kind of terms. Your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But you will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. He may be an example, and you could say this to him, of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. 
To be vital, faith may be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. So this is not a program of faith or thinking or feelings or belief. It's a program of action. Let him see that you are not there to instruct him in religion. Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do, but call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it or he would not drink. Perhaps your story will help him to see where he has failed to practice the very precepts he knows so well. We represent no particular faith or denomination. We deal only with general principles common to most denominations. So this is where you start outlining the program of action, explaining how you made a self-appraisal. So that's step four, how you straighten out the past, eight and nine, and why you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him. So step 12. It's important for him to realize that your own attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part of your own recovery. Actually, you may be helping, he may be helping you more than you're helping him, which is probably true because like half the time they're going to go on and do whatever they're going to do. Um, a lot of times, like I'll go through this with somebody and they may not get sober then, but like I'll see them like a year later and they're getting sober with somebody else, which is totally awesome because sometimes it's just about planting the seed. Like they're not ready then, but they'll be ready later. Um, make it plain that he's under no obligation to you, that your only hope he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he is not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, he, for he has helped you more than you have helped him. If your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you have perhaps made a friend. Maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestions. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all of the program. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic cost cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made such project progress had you not taken action. On your first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, lead, lend him your copy of this book. Um, Allison, I'm going to do the next page, and then I'll turn it over. Uh, so I just, you know, all I say is that, like, I... I didn't want to do it all, but I felt like I had to do it all or it wouldn't have worked. Um, and I tell him about this fellowship that grew up about me when I worked the steps and I helped other alcoholics as it's defined in this book, not, you know, just like hanging around doing, doing whatever and just chatting. And then if he's interested, I don't lend him a copy of my book. I carry around some other copies or I sort of impress on him to get a copy. Uh, unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, steer the conversation in any direction that he likes. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once, and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he is likely to say you rushed him. You will be most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. Never talk down to any alcoholic from a moral or spiritual hilltop. Because remember, you were once as just as hard-headed and ridiculous as any other alcoholic has been or will be right in front of you. So, no reason to be an asshole. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Show him how they worked with you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. If he is not interested in your solution, if he expects you to only act as a banker 
Cruz financial difficulties or a nurse for a freeze or a taxi cab driver or I don't know any like somebody to just be a therapist on the phone or any number of other things. Um, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. This we may do after he gets hurt some more. If he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read this book in the interval. After doing that, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on. He should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, or his friends. If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. We have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked with us. But point out that we alcoholics have much in common, like no joke, of course we do, um, and it's pretty awesome, and that you would like, at any case, to be friendly, let it go at that. Um, and yeah, so I always have a read before the next visit. We never get them started on that visit. And, um, and then if they want to see me again, I tell them, you know, if you want to make a decision, tell me your story, which is what it says on the next page, which is do step three and four. That's when we get started. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Allison, even though there's a little more to cover, but she's faster than I am. So she'll be fine. So thank you. And Allison, are you ready? Hi, I'm Allison. I'm an alcoholic. Um, so let's get started in the bottom of 95. Thank you, Kat. Mm -hmm. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. We have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked for us but point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like in any case to be friendly. Let it go at that. Um, I'm just going to take the opportunity to say that um, we alcoholics have no monopoly on a lot of things that we will have um, other people and, and ourselves believe that we have the monopoly on. We don't have the monopoly on the allergy. We don't have the monopoly on the mental twist. We don't have the monopoly on the spiritual malady. We don't have the monopoly on um, a disease that will tell you that you don't have it. There are other diseases that denial is, is a part of, of the um, symptom list, right? So... Not only do we have no monopoly on God, but we alcoholics have no monopoly um, really on anything. Um, what we do have, though, is an approach that works for us. Um, so do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. That's the truth. Guys, I'm looking, especially in early sobriety, looking for somebody who is desperate enough to listen to me. You have to be in a bad way. You have to be really in a bad way. If you're looking at Allison and thinking, oh, I don't know, yeah, she's the, like, the only ticket that I have is the one out of alcoholic despair. All the other tickets I'm still waiting in mind. Like, so, um, yeah, when I'm looking for a prospect, it's not about um, 
looking for one particular girl or woman in the room. It's about being out there open to the woman who is desperate because it is the desperation that is going to, it's a critical component of of this um, solution. So we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon find become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. Spend too much time on any one situation um, is to deny another alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. Every time I'm trying to make some protege call me a step, go to a meeting, you know, want this as much as I want it for her. I'm wasting my, I'm wasting time. And it's my time is, is one thing, but uh, what I'm doing is wasting the opportunity to go and carry this message to a woman that is desperate enough to take what I have eagerly. Um, one of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. So what they're talking about is Bill Wilson, like one of our um, fellowship. No, the one in our fellowship, the one that started the fellowship, he failed half a dozen times with prospects. Um, And obviously, if he had continued to grind on those folks, he would have, um, he would not have been able to, I wouldn't be sober, right? So, um, suppose you are now making your second visit to a man. He has read this volume and says he is prepared to go through the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Having had, an, having had the experience yourself, you can give him such pra- much practical advice. Let him know you are available if he wishes to make a decision and tell his story, but do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. Uh, this is exactly what Kat was talking about. I'll meet a lady, we'll get started, and then I will never hear from her again. And then a year, two years, four years later, you see her someplace working with some other woman, sober and happy, and you're like, oh my gosh, and it's so exciting. Um, He may be broken homeless. If he is, you might try to help him about getting a job or give him a little financial assistance but you should not deprive your family or creditors of money they should have. Perhaps you will want to take the man into your home for a few days. Be sure to use your discretion. Be certain he will be welcomed by your family and that he is not trying to impose upon you for money, connections, or shelter. Permit that and you only harm him. You will be making it possible for him to be insincere. You may be aiding in his destruction rather than his recovery. If I am not real close to my sponsor and these words, like these directions, um, I can find myself thinking that I am someone else's God or positioning myself so that they think that I'm their God, right? Because I'm the Calvary. I've provided you somewhere to live. I've provided you some money. I'm giving you food. I'm doing all of these things. And then rather than relying upon um, a power greater than themselves, these people start to rely on another human power, me. And that's not the point. 
the point of this is not to make myself feel bigger or better. Like, Oh, look at all this stuff that I'm doing. I'm so helpful. Um, by enabling some poor woman to drink herself to death, you know, at my house. Um, I also need to be sure that this person is welcomed by my family. I live alone. I still have conversations with my family member about the fact that I'm going to let this woman come stay with me for a few days, right? Because I am important and valuable and loved by people in my family and in my life. And I, I need to be considerate and respectful of them, but I need to be especially considerate and respectful of family members that live in my house. I don't have the right to just drag home every wet cat that I find because, you know, oh, I'm going to save her, even though I've got, you know, kids at home that are going to need Zoom help, right? Or a husband or a wife or partner at home that it does not appreciate that, right? So um, we don't want to allow people to be insincere. Um, we don't want to give money to people that ought to go to our own financial amends. Um, we're not living our own spiritual principled life if we start doing that. So never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the good Samaritan every day if need be. It may mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jingle at any time um, of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she is neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have a fight with him if he is violent. Sometimes you will have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send to the police or an ambulance. Occasionally, you will have to meet such conditions. This is just laying it out. Hi, you are now working on step 12, right? This is um, where we are in the book. And um, they're just being straight honest with us. And the truth is, is that sometimes if when you're doing this work, if you're carrying this message, I truly do believe that we will be protected. <clears throat> I'm not saying that if I'm on my way to a 12-step call, that that doesn't mean that I can't get into a traffic accident, you know, but um, I find that when I am out carrying this message, that I, I things have, have worked out all right. Um, but this is telling me that I'm going to have to be willing and ready to have conversations with upset husbands and wives to um, maybe give a hug, right, to a, a child, um, that I'm going to have to be willing to put gas money into my car to drive to places that, you know, drunk ladies are, um, or reach into my pocket and, and give that woman you know, buy that lady a lunch, 
right? While we're meeting and she hasn't eaten anything or whatever, it's time to go. Um, it's also telling us that sometimes things may be get violent and that we may lose some of the things that we love, um, like furniture, right? Um, but that we occasionally will have to meet such conditions. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time and is not good for him. And it sometimes creates serious complications with in a family. Um, I think that we can imagine what kinds of serious complications it can create, right? Everything from this person is annoying to, did you just bring your wife's new boyfriend into your house? Um, I've allowed alcoholics to stay with me. I've not allowed them to stay with me for very long. Um, and it is um, because of this direction in the book. It's also been the case that when they're working the program that God has provided them a new home, you know, that they didn't have to stay any more than three days. Um, though an alcoholic does not respond, there is no reason why you should neglect his family. You should continue to be friendly to them. The family should be offered your way of life. Should they accept and practice spiritual principles, there's a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. And even though he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable. This is an invitation to those, um, family members to check out Al-Anon, um, for the type of alcoholic who is willing, who's able and willing to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. The men who cry for money and shelter from before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. Yet we do go to great extremes to provide each other with these things when such action is warranted. This may seem inconsistent, but we think it is not. It is not the matter of giving that is the question, but when and how to give. That often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. This is what I was speaking to earlier. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. So there are two places in this book where there's a sentence that is one word long, right? So in step one, it says that we had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than alcohol, obviously. And that was the one word sentence. And here's the last one. It's in step 12. Um, that the minute we put our work on a service plan, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. So I I may not be saying to this person, um, protege at this moment, oh, you got to rely on God. You can't rely on me. But that's what I'm teaching them to do by going back to this program, by um, not providing them everything that they need um, and want at every little whim. But um, but really using this guideline on how to, and when to give. 
burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. Um, the only condition, and this book is full of conditions, right? At the, at the beginning of this chapter, Kat was saying, if we have, you know, convinced ourselves that this prospect is a real alcoholic, right? There's, um, but the only condition of someone's ability to get well from this disease is that they trust in God, right? That they get connected to a higher power of their understanding and that they clean house. So now the domestic problem, there may be divorce, separation, or strange, just strained relations. When your prospect has made such reparation as he can to his family and has thoroughly explained to them the new principles by which he is living, he should proceed to put those principles into action at home. That is, if he is lucky enough to have a home, though his family be at fault in many respects, he should not be concerned about that. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration. Argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague. In many homes, this is a difficult thing to do, but it must be done if any results are to be expected. Um, this is great information for those of us who have been sober and are trying to live and have a family life, right? Um, but... Um, when it comes to our alcoholic and they are looking to um, work this program and, and get sober and, and they want us to be their sponsor, right? Um, chances are that in, a, in addition to all of the mess that they've made in their regular life, right, their personal life, they've also made a mess in their interpersonal life. And that if you are working with this person, that they are going to have um, – a man or a woman in their life that um, may be separated from or having a strange relationship with. And we need to be able to give them um, respectful, intelligent, step-based advice, right? So we want to tell them that they should on their own self and their own spiritual development and their own spiritual demonstration in the relationship and that they ought not be focused on um, any of the faults of their family. Um, if persisted in for a few months, the effect on a man's family is sure to be great. The most incompatible people, they have a basis upon which they can meet. Little by little, the family may see their own defects and admit them. These can be discussed in an atmosphere of helpfulness and friendliness. So after they have seen tangible results, the family will perhaps want to go along. After we've worked with this per person long enough that they have put some days of sobriety together, right? Not dry days, but where they're starting to, like the, the book says, see tangible results. This this one is not only is she sober, she's not drinking all day. She's not in a horrible mood about it, right? Um, that's the kind of results that she's able to um, not be a source of chaos in her family first, right? Those are the tangible results. Um, the family may want to go along. My role is to be sober, considerate, and helpful to the family, Um 
says these things will come to pass naturally and in good time provided, however, that the alcoholic continues to demonstrate that he can be sober, considerate and helpful, regardless of what anyone says or does. Of course, we will fall much below this standard many times, but we must try to repair the damage immediately, lest we pay the penalty by a spree. I've got to tent step. I got to clean up. Right. Um, with my family members, because if I don't, I'm going to get drunk. If there be divorce or separation, there should be no undue haste for the couple to get together. The man should be sure of his recovery. The wife should be should fully understand his new way of life. If their old relationship is to be resumed, it must be on a better basis since the former did not work. This means a new attitude and spirit all around. Sometimes it is to the best interest of all concerned that a couple remain apart. Obviously, no rule can be laid down. Let the alcoholic continue his program day by day. When the time for living together has come, it will become apparent to both parties. The idea is that we help our protégés, well, that we live this ourselves, but that we help our protégés slow down and their family members slow down and let God and the results of the connection and this uh, these action steps start to create a different us um, where we take the program day by day and allow other people to take us day by day. Right. And then whatever is going to happen there between partners, um, we can help support. But it becomes something where you know, they're doing it themselves and they're, um, they're doing it with God in the middle as much as possible. So let no alcoholic say he cannot recover unless he has his family back. This just isn't, isn't so. Um, in some cases, the wife will never come back for one reason or another, right? Sometimes people just don't come back. I, you know, I, there are, anyway, um, Remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is dependent, dependent upon his relationship with God. We have seen men get well whose families have not returned at all. And we have seen others slip when the family came back too soon. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. That's a promise. When we look back, we realize the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. It's another promise to follow the dictates of a higher power. Get connected to a God of your own understanding and you will presently in, in the moment now live in a new and wonderful world. When working with a man and his family, you should take care not to participate in their quarrels. You may spoil your chance of being helpful if you do, but urge upon a man's family that he has been a very sick person and should be treated accordingly. You should warn against arousing resentment or jealousy. You should point out that his def defects of character are not going to disappear overnight. Show them that he has entered upon a period of growth. Ask them to remember when they are impatient, the blessed fact of his sobriety. A good way of doing this, I have found with family members when you're trying not to be involved in a quarrel, but 
trying to help your alcoholic find a little bit more um, grace or space in their home to get well is just sharing your own experiences. Yeah, when I was first sober, these are things that I continued to do to my family. These are things that happened. And my mom finally was like, Allison, when are you going to stop making amends for that? When are you just going to stop doing this thing instead of making amends for it every three weeks? You know, and I was like, uh, I don't know, with God's help, right? But the family, a lot of times, is going to look at you like you've got some special something, right? Like, oh, you've really got it together. They can't imagine you like the real you, like the drunk you. Um, so, oh my gosh, it's alone. I didn't realize what time it was. I'm sorry, y'all. Um, okay, I'm going to just keep going. If you've been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell the newcomer's family how that was accomplished. In this way, you can set them on the right track without becoming critical of them. The story of how you and your wife settled your difficulties is worth any amount of criticism. Assuming we're spiritual fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we cannot, we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must send friends who drink. We must, uh, tell me what to do, Kat. Do I keep going? It's lemon. It's okay. Keep going. And then if people drop off, it's fine too. Yeah. Um, we must avoid moving pictures, right? Movies which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles. If we go into their houses, we mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There's something the matter with his spiritual status. His only chance for sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap. I'm like, I'm sure there's booze there. I um, mean, even there, an Eskimo turn, might turn up with a bottle of scotch and ruin everything. Um, ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant places on the theory he would escape the alcohol problem. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure, right? Um, if the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. Um, my sobriety is definitely not dependent upon my um, staying away from alcohol. I mean, that's <laughs> all. It's weird, but like, I'm not avoiding it in life so that I don't drink it. Um, so our rule is to not, is not to avoid a place where there's drinking. If we have a legitimate reason for being there, that includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain ordinary whooping parties. Um, to a person who has had an experience with an alcoholic, this may seem tempting providence, but it isn't. Why? Because of the promises of step 10, because it's been removed. You will note that we made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social business or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactory, you have satisfactorily, you have no need, have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive is going in going is thoroughly good. 
Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you better work with another alcoholic instead. This is directions that go with me everywhere through life. Not just places where people are drinking. What can I contribute? If I'm going somewhere, what am I bringing? Not what am I, what am I taking? Why sit with a long face in places where there's drinking, sawing about the good old days? Um, if it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If it is a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you are a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go. Uh, you are with a person. By all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. Um, at a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. Um, my alcoholic life, right? Our alcoholic life is our only normal one, and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Um, and this is my experience. When I've been really clear with people about why I'm not drinking, people are real generous and don't get weird with me. Your job now is to be at a place that the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere. If you can be helpful, you should not hesitate to visit the most storage spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. Right. I mentioned that earlier and that's a promise. Many of us keep liquor in our homes. We often need it to carry green recruits through some severe hangover. Some of us still serve it with our, to our friends provided they are not alcoholic, but some of us think we should not serve liquor to anyone. We never argue this question. We feel that each family in the light of their own circumstances ought to decide for themselves. Um, we are careful never to show intolerance or hateful of drinking as an institution. Experience shows us such an attitude is not helpful to anyone. Every new alcoholic looks for this spirit among us and it is, is immensely relieved when he finds that we are not witch burners. The spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity, right? To act like I, oh, it's so bad when I've just spent like the last 20 years doing that, like, um, yeah, would repel alcoholics. We would not even do the cause of temperate drinking any good for not one drinker in a thousand likes to be told anything about alcohol by one who hates it. Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem, but we shall be of little use in our attitude if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. Drinkers will not stand for it. After all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symptom or symbol. Besides, we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. Thank you for listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. This recording is not associated with any AA group or AA World Services. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com.